My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Oh, it's like an old Hollywood sort of... Yeah. Ah, see? <laughs> Just, there ain't enough room in this town for the two of us, see? You're going over budget. You gotta bring it back in, Mank. Oh, Oldman. Yeah, it's good, great cast. Gosh, Seafree looks great as sort of an odd 1940s day. Right? Where's she getting? She's she's done a couple things like she did some Blumhouse stuff like she's been but like you know she just hasn't been like okay. mean girl. and welcome to the post credit pod a show about smoking cigarettes in the 1940s. <laughs> <laughs> I am your co-host, Bogue Smoker. All right, Brandon, go ahead. Bogue <laughs> <Poke> Smoker. <laughs> Welcome to the Post Credit Pod. We have a great show for you today. Jacob Fisher, the founder and editor of Chief of Discussing Film, one of the biggest online media entertainment brands in the game. He'll be on to discuss the origins of his massive Twitter empire that he has now, all the kind of cool current news and scoops he's working on. Just a really interesting talk from one of the up-and-coming media guys in the industry. But before we get to that, Eric, there's a lot going on in entertainment these days. Yes, huge news, Brandon. Huge, huge news? Halloween has arrived. And in my opinion, it's terrible. But, I, you know, that's what... I can't believe that this man really made an entire movie doing that Adam Sandler voice. It's unbelievable. I can't believe it. He finally I, did it. I legitimately can't understand, like, 40% of what he says. In Me the either, movie. but that's... So, I watched it last night. And I fell asleep like halfway through. In the first Dang. 15 minutes, they have him fall off a bike three times. So they're really, it's the highest class of comedy. There's like a lot of physical shtick in it that I just found unbearable. And I'm actually surprised because if you've been on Twitter the last 24 hours, people are kind of liking it. Well, what I find disturbing is that people are saying like, oh, it's a sweet move. Like, I went into it, I was like, all right, I need to get uncomfortably stoned, I need to get a ton of snacks, and I need to just absolutely lose myself in this madness. And you're a worked. great game planner, by the way. Like, can you worked. coach a professional is, sport? Because you're great X's and O's. <laughs> well, all right, so it worked. I mean, I was smiling ear to ear, just watching him, like that stupid thermos gag. <laughs> Like, I'm thinking about, about it now. I just don't get it. To, like to me, there's good bad movies like Bill and Ted Three that are just trash, but so enjoyable and heartwarming and, and charming because of it. To me, this was borderline unwatchable. Well, I'll I'll say this: this is the first Sandler Netflix film that I've watched because the they all. Yeah, because he's made like five of them at this point, right? And this yeah, I think he's made more than that. You know, the last one with Jennifer Anderson? Not bad. So this is the first one I've watched. And that's the problem, right? All of the previous ones are trying to pass themselves off as like a real comedy. This one isn't. It lets you know, hey, here's a steaming pile of shit. <laughs> like, really? That's what it is. It's telling you what it is up front. It's saying Adam Sandler is going to do this voice for the entire movie. Okay, all of his, literally all of his friends are going to pop up. And if you take it for what it is and sort of 
wipe away the fact that you're a late 20s male <laughs> who should act like a grown-up and just sort of act like you're 11 or 12? I think it's funny. I thought it was funny. I just, I, listen, I don't fault anyone who feels that way, but I feel like there are movies that fall into that category so bad that they're good that they pull it off. This, you know, knowing what it is, like being a steaming pile of shit and accepting that you're a steaming pile of shit still makes you a steaming pile of shit. It doesn't make the shit smell better. Yeah. To me, there's zero plot in this movie. Not that I come to any Adam Sandler for, you know, Christopher no plot. There, but there is no plot. But then there's not even actual jokes outside of like his mom wearing the funny shirts. That was solid. And other than that, there's just people making weird noises and physical comedy of him dropping off of his bike or using his thermos as like a bat belt you similar you know what though it is a lot like dunkirk in that sense wow wow (laughs) is that it it has that it's got no characters and no plot so one thing i did like and it's not really because of the movie. It opens with a scene of Ben Stiller reprising his role as the evil orderly from Happy Gilmore, which makes this movie and Happy Gilmore exist in the same cinematic universe, going full Marvel with it. What do you think Happy Gilmore is up to concurrently at the same time as Hubie Halloween? 100% in jail. Whether that be for like assault or like some sort of tax fraud, or, or perhaps he killed somebody with a stray golf shot. Who knows? But there is no way that somebody like that, especially once they get rich, could keep themselves out of trouble. But he had the girlfriend who was kind of calming him down, bringing him back down to earth. You don't think he went on the yeah. relatively straight and narrow for what that means for Happy Gilmore? But then he gets older and his golf game starts to slip and he starts boozing a little bit more and he puts on a little weight and his wife divorces him and his kid hates him. And now he's at the golf course screaming, I used to be Happy Gilmore, scaring all the golfers. So, yeah, I can only see it for some reason just being dark. Okay, but if that's the case, and let's say Happy Gilmore is in jail at this time, is he not the perfect candidate to score a massive book deal upon his release, reinvent himself as kind of a rehabilitated Charlie Sheen, and just get back into the A-list? Yeah, see, that's he should hire you, because that's a quick plan. I like that. Everybody loves a comeback story. All right. All right so, so Hubie Halloween, Eric apparently has lost his marbles and got too stoned and is giving it a thumbs up. I'm saying... Please watch anything else. On that. <laughs> uh, but, it, but what I will say for Hubie Halloween is that it's a new movie. And frankly, we aren't getting new movies right now. The last week and a half has seen yet another rash of delays just slaughter the 2020 movie schedule. And listen, the, the three movies that are still on the schedule for 2020, 2020, Soul, Wonder Woman, and whatever the third one is, they're not coming out anytime soon, guys. I promise you that will be delayed as well. So, Eric, one, this sucks. Two, which delay are you most bummed about now that 2020 is a complete wash? Okay, so long term, obviously, the Batman. Okay, I like that you stay on brand. Yes. I mean, what else am I good for if not just being the ultimate sim for Batman? <laughs> <laughs> Very fair. I'm losing my shit. Okay. Um, all right. Back on track here. Uh, but most bummed for, uh, I'd say probably Bond, only because, like, 
MCU is always going to be there. We're always going to get new films, new TV shows. WandaVision comes out in what, four or five weeks? So that's, so it's not like it's really going to go somewhere. Daniel Craig's Bond, this is it. Um, And not just that, but the previous Bond was bad. So if they don't, if, if No Time to Die is not good, which I don't think either you or I think is going to be the case. It looks absolutely dope based on trailers alone. Yes. Yes. So I see it as like, they're aware that this is Daniel Craig's send-off. There is a possibility that they kill him. Doubtful, but sort of, I'm hopeful that the scale of what it means that this is Daniel Craig's final, this is a role that he's been in for close to by the time the film comes out, 15 years. Wow, it's a and long it, run. And it looks like the scale of the film is worthy of that moment. Um, so I was super pumped for it. And the fact that we have to get, and that's one of those films that I could guarantee will never be released PVOD. They will wait and they will wait and they will wait. So that's mine because when at its best, Daniel Craig's Bond, slaps top tier bond yeah can you believe where we've entered the uh revisionist history phase where people on twitter are like actually casino royale wasn't that good that Fuck is off. that is there are people who say that yeah dude i've I, for the last several months especially with pandemic brain making people go crazy i have seen that take from you know no picture Twitter accounts and like seven followers. What's, those what's type of weird people. is that when I watch it, my number one thought is, wow, this has aged really well. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And my other takeaway is like the sheer nuts it took to make this movie then, you know, taking, you know, as you and I make fun of a lot, the grounded and gritty approach to James Bond, I think it was a ballsy call. I mean, the Pierce Brosnan films were silly, but they all did well, right? So at that time in 2006, when Spider-Man and Batman were sort of bringing more weight to pure popcorn fare, the fact that they went the other direction uh, and made not only like a thinking man's James Bond film, but an also sort of beautiful film about how alone Bond really is. It's a tragic love story. Yeah, it yeah. Really is that before how, it's anything his, else. how his job um, bounds him to a life of solitude. And that's something that, again, they achieve in the highest of highs in Skyfall. So I am, again, hoping that that's the case here. So just to go with uh, a different answer, oh, because I yeah, am most looking forward to No Time to get, Die, I'm really bummed about Dune. Uh, this is something you and I have talked about on this podcast quite often. We are massive uh, Denis Villeneuve fans and apologize if I'm butchering that name yet Denis again. Villeneuve. And and while I, I think Dune looks, looks pretty excellent, uh, maybe not as impressive as some of his other less uh, commercial films, you know, Blade Runner 2019, uh, 2049 was the most expensive art house film ever made. It wasn't necessarily a straight up popcorn blockbuster. So uh, I'm really excited for Dune. I, it's a bum, bummer because this is essentially a, a 10-month delay. This isn't like, oh, you know, a few months, we'll get back in theaters, you know, we'll see it. We got to wait a long time. And it also delays the anticipated sequel to Dune that Warner Brothers hopes to make and 
presumably the spinoff Dune the Sisterhood, which HBO Max is developing. So there's this ripple effect to delaying what was probably going to be maybe the most sophisticated blockbuster in 2020, thanks to Villeneuve's track record, all the way into deep 2021. Yeah, Dune is a good shout, although I will say it's not as bad having to wait for the first part of a film arc because right like it, it, it it's not like you're desperate to see the ending i think it's a smart move though because had they tried to rush it in now it would have been a historic failure so yeah and it's not like someone who you know wasn't able to make it to like the last game of thrones season or like the final star wars movies not that those were excellent conclusions but not seeing something you love to completion is a true tragedy in my, yeah. in my opinion yeah So the other big news this past week, Robert Downey Jr. basically said he wants to marvelize Sherlock Holmes and create a shared cinematic universe. Uh, I'm not like a huge fan of the Guy Ritchie Sherlock films. I certainly don't think it's begging for a shared cinematic universe that spans multiple mediums and blockbusters. Uh, I'm a little questionable about this news. I think maybe a Sherlock Holmes 3, just to round out the trilogy, probably would have been a fine theatrical conclusion. I I guess I just don't see the demand and reasoning behind this extension of the brand, even though I love to see Robert Downey Jr. keep getting that blockbuster work. It's funny because I really like these first two, mainly because they are, as I talk about all the time, dad on couch movie. These are the, these are these are high quality dad on couch movies. I feel like because it's Guy Ritchie, they're a little bit more stylish than your typical dad on couch movies. Yeah. Like I don't know if every dad is is down with the Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> I don't know if I agree, but I point being is um, I would definitely watch the third film. It's allegedly coming out at some point. It was supposed, supposed it, to come out in December twenty twenty one, which was when Black Adam was supposed to come out. Now that's been moved. I don't even. I, I don't think that they've begun to shoot yet, right? No, no. But, like, they had it dated along with four other, like, Warner Brothers blockbusters in that holiday season. Basically, nobody knows anything and everything is fucked. That's yeah. how I would sum up the movie <laughs> right now. I mean, look, I would gladly take a third part. It's funny because the first one came out in 2009, and then the next one came out, I believe, in 2011. And then it's going to be over a full 10 years and for part three. So I look forward to seeing how that's worked in, into the plot. I mean, dude, RDJ and, and Jude Law in a relatively smart blockbuster film? That sounds like a good deal to me. I, like, you know, I, again, I, I'm very middle of the road on the Sherlock Holmes films. They're, they're certainly not terrible. They're not anything I need to pay like IMAX prices for, that's for sure. I would like to see Jared Harris come back as Moriarty. I thought he was a good part of the second film. But those are, those are two movies. I'm the king of the rewatch. The reason why I think our pod works well is because we go back and look at a lot of different films, whether those be DC or Christopher Nolan's. And these are movies I have already on my own seen a minimum of 10 times, maybe more. And the Sherlock Holmes movies, I don't think I've ever gone back and, and rewatched them after like my first viewing. Again, perfectly fine, but... Nothing I, I felt compelled to be like, you know what, I need to check that scene these, out again. These, see, these rank very highly on my, if you catch this on TNT on three o'clock on Saturday, are you going to watch? Mine is an absolute yes. Now that said, I don't know 
how they're going to spin this off into an entire cinematic storytelling, whether that is movie, TV. Yeah. Um, it just seems to me like Robert Downey Jr. saw Enola Holmes getting some hype, and he was like, fuck that, I want back in. Yeah, I, I wonder if, like, what gives him the right to make that claim? Does he own a piece of, you know, like, what? I don't think so, because it's, I, I know Warner Brothers has been banging out, um these movies, I know Legendary, I think was supposed to do a Nola Holmes theatrical before the pandemic and they sold it to Netflix. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it's like a situation like like Mowgli or Mulan where like it's a legend and it's kind of public domain uh, or if someone actually has the rights to Arthur Conan Doyle's, you know, body of work. I'm, I'm not really sure how it works. I still prefer the uh, Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock to- Which I've the- yet to watch, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good, man. It's, it's real solid. Like, again, I, I love RDJ. These movies are, are perfectly fine, but I think the Sherlock TV BBC series has more personality to it. Yeah. But sticking with those crazy Brits and all the crazy shenanigans they get up to, HBO's Game of Thrones pre- prequel, House of the Dragon, has cast its lead. Patty, and I apologize because I know I'm going to butcher this last name, Considine. I think that's He's, right. you know, yeah, you know him from the the Outsider. You probably know him from Hot Fuzz. Really solid actor. Peaky Blinders. Yes, Peaky Blinders. Good call. So they cast him as Viserys the First. Now this House of the Dragon prequel originally announced. HBO said it, it was set three hundred years before the original series. They said it took inspiration from George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood novel, and that it was focusing on the Targaryens. Casting Viserys the, the first as the main character, he lived, this is deep in the weeds for Game of Thrones fans, about 170 years before the events of Game of Thrones and was a central figure in the Dance of Dragons, which was the Targaryen civil war that essentially forced dragons into extinction and essentially was the first domino to fall in the ultimate downfall of the Targaryen dynasty. So that's obviously a little bit different than what they initially announced. I think it's really exciting because the Dance of Dragons is a riveting conflict. All of the political jockeying of Game of Thrones, but keeping it mostly within the Targaryen family, which obviously has a lot of lore behind it. And you throw in a shit ton of dragons. That's cool. That's a cool mix of ingredients for a new show. The fact that it's called House of the Dragon should have cued me into the fact that there's going to be dragons in it. I hadn't considered that. Game there's going to be aerial dogfights, but with dragons. Now, on to casting itself. I got excited for this one because this is a guy who, everything he's in, he stands out, right? Like, he was an outsider, which was a pretty dark show, and he played a... I, I hope that gets a second season, but maybe they ep- they lower the episode count a couple. I know this is a little off topic. Just I feel like not enough love for The Outsider over the last you know, eight months. I think that's months. a great call because it did sort of drag through, what was yeah. it, like four, five, and six. But uh, worth another go around, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I thought that he was the best part of that. Um, I can't ever say that when Ben Mendo Mendelssohn is in the running. I just love everything that guy's in. True, true. He is fucking great. The Mendelor. Um, the uh, report from Variety describes his character as warm and kind. So, yeah. obviously, he's going to die in the first season. <laughs> so, uh, so for, for Game of Thrones nerds, this was, a, was an honorable man, someone who, who did try to rule fairly. And the reason 
the Dance of Dragons, the Targaryen Civil War kicks off, is that he honors his first marriage by making his daughter the heir instead of the son from his second marriage. And all the less woke Westerosi were like, nah, we're not doing that patriarchy, homie. And he was like, nah, we got to like move forward and progress as, as a nation and, and honor our ideals. And, you know, succession needs to change. And uh, the rest of the country wasn't happy about that. So this was a good man who didn't necessarily make a good king. Now you read the books. You're clearly a big fan. You know your stuff. On a scale of 10, where does your hype fall for this show? Listen, they have some good talent behind this show. Uh, Ryan Condal, and I apologize if I butchered that name as well. He, he worked on Colony with Carlton Cuse, which was a solid show. Miguel, and I'm not even going to pronounce Yeah, okay, well, you got it. Nailed it. So he was the director of Hard Home, Battle of Bastards. He's also co-showrunner. George R. R. Martin, for all of his faults, helped create the the concept for the show. And I do think he's a good writer, even if the Winds of Winter are never going to come. So I'm pretty excited for it. On a scale of 1 to 10, I would probably say 8. The poor ending to Game of Thrones has no hangover effect for me. It's a completely different show. It's a completely different creative team. You know, just suck it up, you little babies. And even beyond that, it's an interesting move for HBO because it's their first ever spinoff. And it is a spinoff of what is obviously the most popular, massive show of the last 15 years. So just from an industry perspective, it's very interesting to see how this show performs. My thoughts exactly. Um, Look, I feel as scorned by the end of Thrones as anyone else out there. I just, um, especially because all of their wounds were self-inflicted. Yeah. I mean, that probably is the most frustrating part. Like, If you've played sports, there's losing a game because you got beat and there's losing a game because you fucked it up, right? And the latter is way worse. And that's what they did. Uh, But that said, the talent, the stakes, um, the channel, you know, HBO, they rarely miss. Um, So with all that combined, especially with this first casting choice, which I love, now, would you consider him a name? No, not at all. So do you think that this is the biggest name that they get? Uh, that's a really, really good question. I would say it's probably going to be largely unknowns slash smaller names. You got to remember going into Game of Thrones, Sean B. Essentially was nobody besides Sean B. Essentially nobody besides Sean B. was like a real name. And even then, I, I love Sean Bean and, and fans love Sean Bean. But I don't think your average everyday guy is going to be like, that's Sean Bean. Or you're going to be like, that's the guy who died in Goldfinger in Lord of the Rings. Well, you plus, know? now you don't need a big star's name attached to it to get it off the ground, right? The we... Game of Thrones prequel is the name. Exactly. Um, Good question, though. So I think bottom line is that this is a positive step. Yeah. I, I think we, we give this show like, every... This is a home run casting. Like, I think this is a home run choice. I wonder if they'll make him blonde because he's not a blonde. I know, and right, it, I'm I'm sure it'll look weird, but you would figure that they have to. It might be that that first season Tyrion Lannister where they kind of put blonde streaks in Peter Dinklage's hair, and then everyone was like, you know what, this isn't working. Let's just let him be a brunette. Right, right. <laughs> Do, are men brunettes? Is that is that still the term? Yes. I think. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, so that'll be funny to see just from a character design perspective. And that's supposed to come out in 2022. So 
Fingers we'll crossed. see. Who knows with all this, uh, all this crazy production shutdown. I don't know where they're planning to film, but I do know that The Last Duel with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon is currently filming in Ireland with no problems. So, you know, that seems like a Game of Thrones-esh location. Anywhere but here, right? (laughs) Exactly. All right, last of the news updates for the last week. Today, on Thursday, the first teaser for David Fincher's upcoming Netflix movie, Mank, debuted. Now, Mank is essentially the reason why David Fincher stopped working on Mindhunter, why that show most likely won't come back. So this movie needs to be really, really good to justify that decision. Eric, I'm certainly more of a kind of snobby film prestige guy. I really liked the teaser and think it looks super interesting. And of course, I'm smitten with the idea of a Hollywood movie about Hollywood because I'm a jackass. What did you think? Look, man, as I said to you, I when I go to see Fincher film, I want like crime thriller, right? I want like mind fuckery murder. I want I want to You have, want heads and boxes. I want heads and boxes. I want everything that we've come to know from him for the last 20 years. I mean, this is this film, if you look at everything he's done since we've been born, Mank is the most unique out of all of those, right? Even more unique than Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Yes, because ben, Benjamin Button still has those sort of Fincher gothic tones to it. Um, while it is more romantic and endearing than any of his films in terms of theme, in terms of actual substance and content, there's a lot of the same things that we've come to know. I love that film. It flirts with, with, with my top 10 of all time. So you're really? talking to the wrong wow. yeah. So you're because that's generally considered a lesser Fincher film. I, I certainly like it. I definitely am not as hyped on it as you. That's I did not expect that from you. Well, that was you a very pleasant I'm a sucker, man. I, I'm a sucker. So when you take somebody as skilled as Fincher and you make and, and you have him making what amounts to a historical epic sci-fi love story? Question mark. Like that's right up my alley. So. And Brad Pitt, just being as Brad Pitt as hell in that movie. I mean, Jesus, when he's on the, the bike, and <laughs> like, dude, save some for the rest of us, will ya? Um, so in case anyone doesn't know, probably should have put this up front, Mank is 1930s Hollywood is basically reevaluated through the eyes of scathing social critic and alcoholic screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz, played by Gary Oldman as he races to finish the screenplay for Citizen Kane. It's based on a real guy, which is interesting. And obviously it's a period piece, which, which, I mean, that's not Fincher's calling card, but he has played around with that idea of like, this is a very specific place in a very specific moment in time. Yeah. I mean, look, do I think it's going to be good? No, I think it's going to be fantastic. Am I going to enjoy it? Of course. But is this how I want this guy spending his time? I mean, not that I'm to say, but no, <laughs> not how I want. Like D- David Fincher to me is a you know a top five name, and for him to pretty much cancel, as you put it, a great crime thriller show to make a passion project film about a topic that nobody has e- ever heard nor cared about it bums me out. You know, it's just going to be a bunch of bougie, rich people, drunk, smoking cigarettes from those long cigarette things. 
I guess I'm excited for it, especially when you take into account the dearth of films this year. But if the trade-off was this or season three of Mindhunter, I'm going to obviously choose the latter 10 times out of 10. Yeah, I'm definitely really disappointed that Mindhunter is in all likelihood never returning. Would you say... Why? Why? Did he say why? Because David Fincher kind of pivoted to Mank, Netflix essentially had to let everyone in Mindhunter out of their contracts because they weren't going to be working on it for an extended period of time and they didn't want to pay him for, for not working. And so to get every single person, cast, crew, creatives, all back, most likely not going to happen. Definitely possible. It, crazier things have ha- happened in Hollywood, but that'll be difficult to pull off. Bummer. Big time so, bummer. If, though, if Mank becomes maybe an Oscars frontrunner for major categories, is that gonna make be. it worth of it? Course, I, I don't think it's an... I think you could pencil it in right now. Hollywood loves Hollywood. Of course, a film... Look at um, Argo. Every, they, every movie ever. La La Land. Every movie about Hollywood they, is... You catch it up. So when you add in the prestige of Fincher and Oldman, and then you slap some black and white on it, please... This, you could pencil this in for best director, best screenplay, best picture. Best um, actor, maybe. Best actor. And it wouldn't surprise me if it won a few of them. Because Netflix, this is sort of a hits bong theory, but they have been carrying Hollywood all year, pretty much. You know, yeah. when, it, when it comes to releasing buzzworthy, big content, they've been all we've had. You combine that with the fact that they have been desperately vying for that Academy Awards glory for four years now since Roma, three or still four haven't years still haven't gotten that Best Picture award and have come closer each and every time. I could easily seeing this going in as a dog at like plus two fifty and then winning. Especially given the dearth of new releases we have. Like, the competitive field is thin as hell this year. Not only do they owe Netflix one, but I would imagine that they not owe Fincher love, but that it's his time to shine as well. He's definitely due. He's he's a guy who's missed out on a lot of Academy love. And then maybe you like to talk about how Nolan made Dunkirk as a response to the sort of the way that the upper tier of the film world saw him, this could be the same thing. Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely an opportunity for David Fincher to finally crash the category that we all know he's due for. I also think, like we said before, Netflix is stewing for some awards on that front. They have reportedly, they denied it, but reportedly spent $100 million on their Oscars campaigns last year in total. They must have been really, really stung in 2016 when Amazon beat them to the punch for the first ever streaming Best Picture nomination for Manchester by the Sea. You know, they're going to put their weight behind this, probably to five bloods to, for in certain categories. It's, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out in the Oscar race. Whether or not it's worth the sacrifice of Mindhunter, we have yet to say. Do you think, you just brought up a point, do you think that they're going to push Bozeman and Best Supporting? I think it's possible. It also depends to what is the kind of narrative surrounding the trial of Chicago 7. They might have a candidate there they want to push. 
I, I don't know. I mean, they will. I'm sure they will, but it's a, it really is a cast film, right? Like, they're all so good. Um, Definitely possible, possible that they campaign for Bozeman. It's both cynical and kind of warranted at the same time. Is it cynical, though, if, if, it's, if it's, you know, deserved? I mean, he is the definition of a supporting character in that film, right? He's, he's very good in it, absolutely. He's very good, despite... Deserving of attention. Despite I just know Netflix probably isn't doing it for the artistic uh, uh, significance. The, right. Um, despite the fact that he is visibly younger than the cast, he brings this sort of dramatic weight of being their wise elder, which is... It's paternal love, man. Yeah, which is incredible, you know. Uh, that hit, That's a great movie. I love that movie. So I would love to see that get all the love in the world. I unfortunately think Mank will probably take its place. Sight unseen, I gotta believe it's one of the leading contenders at this year's Academy Awards. What, Mank? Yeah, Sight yeah. unseen, of course. Yeah, same. And then moving on to our last big update in terms of trending news, basically just reported Benedict Cumberbatch is going to reprise his role as Doctor Strange in the third upcoming Marvel Spider-Man movie. Now, I like this for a couple reasons. Number one, I always think Tom Holland's Peter Parker plays well off of like established mentor figures, gives him that kind of young, callow, fish-out-of-water humor. And it also is just a, a good way to keep the crossover elements going. What I'm both excited for and a little worried about is if they lean too heavily into this potential Spider-Verse crossover, because obviously... WandaVision and Doctor Strange 2 are going to open up the multiverse. His inclusion in Spider-Man 3 seemingly to me suggests that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire's versions will be playing some sort of role. Doctor Strange 2 comes out before this. Yeah, it's Doctor Strange 2, which is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which is set up by WandaVision and and presumably will kick open the whole multiverse doors on the MCU. So this pretty much confirms everything we talked about on the last pod when we were talking about Jamie Foxx um, in terms of how much of this Spider-Man film is going to involve the multiverse. Would it be a part of the entire film? Would it be hinted and nodded at in the third act? What this casting tells me is, and you, of course, you, I mean, you're, committed to the idea that the other Spider-Men are going to show up, which I'm not sure I'm convinced of quite yet. I um, hope that's the case. Well, I hope, I, I, you know, I'd rather be not convinced because I think, uh, well, we'll get to it. Right. So what I do think that this tells me is Spider-Man 3 is going to be a multiverse-driven story. The conflict of the film is going to have to do with whether it be enemies from other worlds or heroes from other worlds that is going to be the pretty much the entire point of the film as far as we could tell how they're going to work that into and and if you've not seen far from home i guess skip ahead the next 30 seconds but i'm curious to see how they work all this sci-fi timeline fuckery into the cliffhanger that they left us with at the end of Far Far From Home, which was more of like a day-to-day ground level threat to him. 
and that's more important, you know, because the idea of Spider-Man being exposed, his true identity, and him having to navigate that, that is, to me, more than enough to carry its own third solo spider movie. Uh, I think we've talked about on this pod quite a bit that we are excited by the prospect of the multiverse, but I want it in small doses. What I don't want to see is just a greatest hits of Sony past. You know, we, we literally just got a perfect Spider-Verse film. So I don't need or necessarily want Marvel to lay those elements on so thick, which is what seems to be happening, right? You know, I'd much rather Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield appear in one brief scene or as a reference rather than be major players. And I would love, like you said, for him basically dealing with the fallout from Far From Home being the thrust of the movie. I don't necessarily need him to solve that in the first scene and then just go on this multiverse journey. Right, exactly. And so I'm kind of on the same page. How they're going to balance the two is going to be fascinating because you got to, all right, so they've got Doctor Strange, right? They've got Elektra, right? They're definitely going to include another villain, whether that be Keaton's uh, uh, Birdman, whatever the hell the guy's name is. Vulture. Yeah, Birdman, I think we should just make that official. or who else is he for? Oh, Jake John Hall's. But he's dead, isn't he? Well, no, he's he's dead, quote unquote. Um, so they're not done either. So considering the way the last Spider-Man three went, hopefully <laughs> they aren't going down that same road again. It seems like there's going to be a lot in this movie. And I think we were talking about it. They're clearly trying to set him up as like the tentpole guy. But the thing is, Sony still might take him back for their own universe with Venom and Morbius. Like that's still in play to a certain degree, even though it's more profitable and beneficial for them to extend this deal once again. Because remember all the drama when Spider-Man was leaving? Uh, This was, I don't know, 10 Last summer. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. So what the deal was, one more solo film and two more crossover appearances. So that's not a, a ton of additional no. content. They, that's not like a 10 years for Tom Holland. Right. So, so they still need to renegotiate. Uh, I'm thinking that because they're trying to do so much, they might be biting off more than they can chew a little bit, even though Marvel's proven they can do anything. We were talking about in text. Uh, going huge works but only if it's done really carefully. And that's what I'm worried about because that's what I liked about Spider-Man Homecoming. Very much friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah, great point. The two MCU Spider-Man films that we've gotten so far have been smaller in scale. They've been very personal stories about Peter Parker and growing up. So throwing him into this sort of sci-fi chaos is going to be a total... Let's even see if John Watts can do that stuff. Um, it's going to be a huge departure from what he's done in the past. Now that said, Dr. Strange is one of my favorite MCU characters. I've long said to you that I think he's the MVP in the fight against Thanos, not only on a micro scale in terms of hand to hand when they fight him on Titan, he's sort of the only one who could go toe to toe with him. Um, And then on a more macro scale, it was his plan that was put in place to beat Thanos. So in terms of his overall plan about giving up the stone, or do you mean Tony saying like, nah, let's take the fight to him, which he disagreed with at first. Well, that was before he had looked in 
Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's you're a, talking about the, the big overall plan. Yeah. It, it, the the end game, quote unquote, was his. He was yeah. the one who. It was him giving away the stone that triggered everything that had to be triggered. So in terms of like characters that I want to see more, he's right near the top. So that sort of thrills me. I agree to an extent. I'm glad you mentioned his inclusion in that regard because I actually think Doctor Strange works much better playing off of other MCU characters in these crossovers than he does in his own solo film, which I found to be rather vanilla and and mediocre. So I'm excited for that to be his future as well. Kind of co-partner, you know, co-pilot. I don't know what you want to call it. I like that role for him. Now, what do you think they're possibly going to call this movie now that they've got all this? Well, I'm glad you asked because my first thought, Doctor Strange is in this. It's post-multiverse, which means almost certainly Peter Parker is going to be traversing the multiverse to a certain degree. So, Spider-Man, no place like home. Oh! That's pretty good. That one's for free, Marvel. That one is for free. I, um... I wanted them to call Deadpool 2 Deadpooler, Deadpool 3 Deadpoolist. I actually really like that as much as it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, which is why I like it. (laughs) Uh, But so does this increase your hype for this film? Are you the same? I would probably say I'm the same. Like we've discussed, I'm excited by elements of the multiverse. And I think it opens up a really cool new chapter of the MCU but I'm also worried that this goes away from what's worked from the MCU Spider-Man and is very difficult to pull off in terms of not becoming a retread of all the cameos and references and Easter eggs. Ha ha, look at that. Remember? You you don't want it to become a YouTube highlight clip. Yeah. For lack of a better term, or a fan-made trailer. You you know, you want it to be a movie. For me, this does increase my hype while I remain concerned with how drastically they appear to be leaning into this uh, device of storytelling that they haven't really broached in the previous 12 years of films. So for them to get it off the ground in the next three projects and have it prepared to go for next year, you know, it's a lot. But the, the MCU has proven time and time again that they know what they're doing and i have no reason for that to not be the case now and the thought of seeing benedict cumberbatch's doctor strange dealing with jamie fox's electro is cool to me uh it's a lot of star power yeah so we shall see point point is that you better get on board with the multiverse because it's here yeah and i will say whether or not the multiverse works, whether or not they do bite off more they can show more than they can show, it is kind of cool and interesting that starting with Infinity War, we all started speculating about who the big bad after Thanos was. And we all started speculating, you know, that needs to be a major player in order for them to carry forth the momentum of the first decade of the MCU. And while we were all thinking that was, no pun intended, the end game, the next big bad, Marvel was clearly having plans to be like, oh, no, you don't even know what's coming. Like, it doesn't matter. We're, we're launching a whole 
new realm of storytelling. As we talked about on the last podcast, how much of this has to do with them trying to find a way to work in the X-Men and Deadpool? You know, if you had asked them five years ago, I doubt that these were their plans then. I am relatively confident that their lean into the multiverse came A, after the massive success of Spider-Verse, and B, after they acquired those Fox characters and then therefore found themselves in a place where we have to creatively introduce these guys within the framework of this story that we've been telling for 12 years. And the easiest way to do that is, is what they're doing now. Now they can easily explain you know, the, how do they do that in Doctor Strange too? Because imagine Spider Verse. I mean, uh, Spider Man Three. They've got the fallout from Far From Home and, and Peter Parker's identity being exposed. They've got Doctor Strange, and they have to figure out an arc for him. They maybe possibly have Tobey Maguire and and Andrew Garfield. They definitely have Jamie Foxx, and then to add the Fantastic Four and or X Men onto it, like put that in a different project. It's, it's too much. So it's you like think. What the Flash is becoming to me, like now that Gal Gadot is in talks to join it, like too much, relax. Because Doctor Strange is going to appear in Spider-Man 3, do you think a Spider-Man is going to appear in Doctor Strange 2? That would be a good workaround where we're all expecting Toby and Andrew to pop up in Spider-Man 3. What if he runs into them in Doctor Strange 2 and that's why he's like, listen, I need to mentor this kid because- That's my thinking, yeah. It's crazy. Exactly. That would be pretty cool. Okay, I'm down with that. Because how else are they going to, like, why else would Doctor Strange be there in in Spider-Man 3 if they didn't already build that bridge? I mean, I know he maybe he wants to step into, like, the mentor role that obviously is vacated- by Tony Stark, because he, you know, he's trying to be a good adult, but like he's an asshole. That's not really his game. Right, right. So it would it would beg to reckon that there has to be a catalyst. And that would be him meeting the other Spider-Man and or interacting with the Sony Spider-Verse in some degree. Exactly. My thoughts exactly. This will be fun to track and to keep monitoring and to keep speculating on. But until we get the next dose of information, let's move on to our next big topic, and that is interview with Jacob Fisher, founder and editor-in-chief of Discussing Film. Pump for this conversation. Today, we have a very special guest, really happy to have him on, Jacob Fisher, founder and editor-in-chief of Discussing Film, one of the biggest online entertainment media outlets. Jacob, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you for coming on as well. Now, discussing film, obviously a, a huge following, recently crossed 100,000 Twitter subscriber uh, followers. Congratulations on that. You cover the, the big blockbuster Hollywood projects and the smaller kind of more niche TV shows and films. What's one thing you're really looking forward to on the horizon? Oh, that's a good question. I, would, I have one in my head that I can't remember, but until I figure out one out, I'll say June, although it got delayed the other day. We'll say June for now. I'm going with that one. Yeah, I think June is probably the one I'm most anticipating in terms of blockbusters. Which, which one's June? June, that's my accent. June. Oh, Dune? 
Yeah, that's it. Oh, that's I, I, I thought he was saying June. I was like, I, I hope we get films by then. I think that's. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, you know, we're crossing the pond. We're an international podcast. I like that we're bringing these people together. Yeah, I would say we're really hyped for Dune. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast. Now, you know, outside of the big upcoming projects, I would love to hear a little bit about the origin of discussing film and, and what your goal was when you first set out. Oh, that's a good question. Mm, I, I don't think I had particularly a goal when I started out. I think I just started the page more as just a bit of fun because initially I had a little Twitter page similar to discussing film where it was just sharing Twitter links. I think that got up to 30 followers and then I left that one. And then I decided, started discussing film in, I think it was 2016. So, and I've, after 2017, I started properly looking at it and going, right, this can be something good and some, form into something big. And I think it was by the end of 2017 where I knew I need to keep on this and keep continuing. And then here we are today. Now, so what came first, the Twitter or the site? The Twitter account, right? Yeah, the Twitter, yeah. And I, now, I think the website didn't come until, it would have been late 2017, I think. Now, how did you sort of like craft your voice? Because I do think that despite the fact that it's kind of a stream of news, the page does have a voice. You just had a tweet hmm. blow up about Trump uh, <laughs> when you called him Home Alone 2 star, Donald Trump. And that I saw that on IG, I saw that on Twitter. So is that, is that your voice? Is that sort of dry wit, how you are in real life? Did you craft it because you know that that's what Twitter likes? So sort of walk us through where that, that DF voice came from. Well, I think I always like to put a bit more on humor and style into what my projects are in terms of, I don't want it to be just um, this is happening here. Also, it's good to be informative, but it's good to have that entertainment angle as well and I think that's the best way to attract a wider audience as for the Trump tweet that was a very interesting one which I created as soon as I woke up for some reason I woke up about six o'clock in the morning and saw that so I was able to get just on it just in time and I didn't expect it to do well but not that well how <laughs> how uh, big is it at now that tweet, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's at I think it's at three hundred thirty thousand likes. Wow! And I posted the impressions the other day, and it'll be at about fifteen million now. It was a very, very eventful day. And that's nope. and and that's your biggest tweet yet, right? Oh yeah, by I think by two hundred likes. I think by oh, a country mile. Hey man, much. congratulations! Yeah, it was very, very wild day. It doesn't really surprise me. Of course, listeners at home don't know, but Jacob and I, you know, direct message all the time, just talking about the industry and everything. And I would say about 75% of everything that he's ever said to me is some type of joke. Would you say it's a fair ratio, Jacob? Yeah, I would say that's probably accurate. 75, <laughs> 80, around that one. So that, that comedic voice, as well as the insightful news updates and analysis, that doesn't surprise me. But looking at it as a whole package, how have you gone about building up discussing film over the years? You said in 2017, you really started to get serious. What was the strategy? Well, I think it was 
not only doing it by myself, but collaborating with the team I have, like the team I have in that I had in 2017, it's evolved. And about, I would say half the people that are in the team at the moment are from 2017, which is what I think is positive to keep that family aspect of a team, like a close knit community. So we all suggest ideas and, it's a very group project in terms of pushing discussing film forward from 2017. Now, in terms of pushing it forward, do you have any big upcoming projects on the horizon? Any big plans for the brand you want to discuss? I think at the moment I have nothing like concrete in terms of big plans. I was toying with a podcast idea, but I think I'm going to move that one to 2021 whilst I focus on a few other things in terms of getting more scoops on the website, more just keeping the Twitter more active. There's a few things I want to make sure press-wise that by the end of the year, discussing films on top of each film, by the end, when theatres finally reopen, or hopefully reopen, <laughs> we'll have a good backing to when we get in there. Now, you mentioned scoops. Of course, you want to keep all the juicy exclusives for Twitter and the site so you can get all that direct traffic. But are there any upcoming stories you want to tease that you might be working on? Ooh, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything big I could tease. I did find out, well, I don't know if it's in a scoop yet, which is why I'm going to pull off on that. But there's a distribution little one that I'm working on. There's a couple of Netflix things that I'm excited to do. And I'm mostly at the moment because I want to get back into doing more Disney Plus scoops because I think it was last year I did about five or ten of them in a row when they were really ramping up their schedule. So I want to get back into doing some more than Disney Plus scoops and doing ones that I'm a happy person. I'm going, that's my goal with scoops at the moment, knowing one that I can look at and go, I'm proud to have written that, posted it and broke that news. What's the first scoop that you had when you really felt like, oh, wow, like, this is a real, like, I'm doing this. I've really turned this into a real gig. What, what was that first scoop that you sort of not felt like you made it, but felt confirmed that your site had become a real space for this sort of news? Definitely the Nicolas Cage news for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That is... I think it was my first big scoop as well, and it's still one of my favorites to this day. What, and I've, what you broke sorry, what that, that you broke that he yeah yeah yeah. It. I had that one, and I had the John Mulaney Spider Ham, but I held off on that, and then someone else ended up breaking that. But I wasn't too fussed at that point because I already got my Nicolas Cage one that I wanted. I love that you kind of cornered the market on the Spider Verse Intel. That's a good niche to be covered. Uh, I, I would love to get some casting for the next one as well. I'm going to keep my eye out for that because a few projects I keep a list on to make sure where they're at in pre-production. Like, will, would they be casting now? Who's, who's attached in the moment, but who's not attached? Keep it in the know and seeing what information can I find out about these ones. And I don't think I'll find anything on this one, but Moon Knight is one that I'm looking for in terms of directors. Probably not star, but I'd like to get the director scoop for that if I can. But who would you like to see star in that role? Because B and I have been hammering home that our boy Shia LaBeouf should be it. Um, do you have a choice? Do you care? 
I don't. Um, I think Shia would be a good choice, and I think obviously I think Jewish actor is the priority when they go with this casting. I think many of my team have expressed that same opinion, and I listen to them, and I can understand how much it is important to have an, a Jewish actor. So I think Shia is probably a good shout for the role, and I, I don't know if I can think of anybody else. I've started to come around put, on Oliver Jackson Cohen, especially after yeah. the screeners for Haunting of Bly Manor, which drops on Netflix on Monday. Is Bly the same? He was in the first season. Is it the same cast? So it's a lot of the same cast carried over. I haven't watched the first season, so I don't oh, know anything about it. I just I know, know that Mike Flanagan, the creator, is using a lot of the same actors, you know, similar to what Ryan Murphy does. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, cool. Um, Jacob, back to um, Spider-Verse. You uh, put it on the DF Twitter. We spoke to Jake Johnson, and he would not give us anything. His lips were sealed. (laughs) They are – I don't know what they've got planned, but they didn't let him say a word. So if you do get a scoop, we cannot wait to see it. Funnily enough, actually, now that's just remembered to me, I do have an interview that we did, I think it was months back, with Peter Ramsey, and it, we still haven't had a chance to post that yet. But there is a tiny, tiny scoop on there about Spider-Verse 2, just in terms of where Peter Ramsey, what his role in that film is, because he has one, but he's not directing that one. I look forward to seeing that. Now, obviously a thing like Spider-Verse or anything related to Marvel very, very passionate fan bases these days. And with the explosion of social media, we've kind of seen a little bit of fandom turning toxic. Anyone scrolling through the replies to a discussing film tweet can see that there is a lot of heated debate. In your experience, which are the best and the worst pop culture fandoms in terms of online behavior? Hmm, That's a good question. I think it depends with the news cycle, like, I'm going to try not to start some beef here, but the <laughs> Snyder fans, it, not usually if it's like good news, they'll be fine, but you have to be careful how you report things so you don't report it the wrong way. And I think I did that I think a few, a few weeks back. I reported something a wrong way to how it was clarified in an article. Some of them got a bit, eh-eh, a bit annoyed, but that's it is what it is with some of them. As for... In general, uh, I think it's probably Star Wars fans are the most toxic. That hurts me because, I one, I agree, and two, Star Wars is my favorite possible brand in entertainment. Mm. So it, it really does pain me to see my favorite blockbuster franchise kind of turn these fans uh, against themselves. And I think that's also because there's so many differing opinions you can have about Star Wars. You can... You can like any type of movie from there. And there's so many different angles to come in as a Star Wars fan. Obviously, there's some that, not to name names, but fandom menace, which are not good Star Wars fans in a sense. But then, then there's other ones that love the sequel trilogy or there's some that just love the original trilogy. So, Jacob, who is the, not biggest star, but the star that you are the biggest fan of that you've gotten to talk to uh, for your work and what what kind of how do you go into those do you do you go into them trying to get scoops or just trying to have as good of a chat uh, how do you plan um, the way that you talk to these creators 
I think in terms of actors I've talked to personally that I've been the most excited to was it was a few years back with Billy D. Williams. That was one of my favourites, obviously, because he's a big part of my childhood. So it was a nice, and that was one of my first ever interviews as well. So it was nice to get him on board. In terms of how I approach interviews, I think in 2018, early 2019, it was focused, try and get some scoops out of them, but try and get some good answers. But now I think it's more evolved in, you can get some really good answers and get some really in-depth interviews. And then that builds connections going forward into the future rather than just what project you're working on next. Tell us about who's, who's casting your next movie, something like that, for example. Now, this is a little open-ended of a question, but given all that goes into it, I'm curious, what would fans and followers of Discussing Film be surprised to learn about the brand and everything that you do behind the scenes? I think it was surprised to do know that, and I don't want to take too much credit, but I run on, I think, I would say 90% on Twitter. I think if you, because obviously as an editor-in-chief, you imagine that's like a, leadership role where it's more like delegating but I feel like the Twitter has always been my thing of I love running that and I don't think I'm going to ever stop loving to run that so I think that's always going to be something I'm going to be doing even if say I stepped down for some reason as editor-in-chief and then I just became social media man. Jacob since you know uh, Bond is a British character you are if the people can't tell a British man who who would you like to see fill fill that role? I think Henry Golden. I think that would be a nice little casting. I think that one. I think he yeah. would definitely do that well. I really like that. Uh, and then there was um, a while ago. I did suggest Boyega, and I keep going to and from that one, John Boyega, and I keep going. I think he would be good. And then there's a part of me that goes, well, maybe maybe you would be better suited for different roles. But I think them two are my top, uh, the top of my list at the moment. Those are great picks. Those are great picks. I kind of like the idea of Boyega or Daniel Kalua taking on Bond. Yeah. I've, I think, I think it must have been years back now when I tweeted. I think Boyega, and then I remember someone mentioned Kalua and there was some other actor, but I can't remember off the top of my head now. But there was, there's some good choices going around, but I'm... I can't see who they'll cast next because I don't think, um, as much as I would like like either of them, I think they'll go for an out-of-the-box choice. Right. Now, obviously, in the last few weeks, we've seen basically the rest of the 2020 slate delayed. What are you most bummed out about in terms of movies that have been moved? I think, well, it was already in 2021, but Eternals getting moved all the way to November with a, that was a gut punch. That was a gut punch and a half. As for movies that were moved from 2020 into 2021 now, um, there was West Side Story. I was quite excited to see that in December. And well, that's completely moved now to December 2021. And I think that's about it in terms of films I've been really bummed about getting moved. I think I've been mentally preparing since May that we might not get any movies this year and theatrically that is and we'll have to accept that yeah that's that's unfortunate uh well jacob fisher founder and editor-in-chief of discussing film really appreciate you coming on the show to discuss you know the origins of this massive online fandom the origins of of 
your amazing outlet and just all the cool news that's going on in pop culture today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I wish you the best with your site, your Twitter, everything you're doing. When I get up to check the news of the day, your account is one of the first that I go to. Uh, so thank you for that. Easily uh, the you. most quote tweeted account in my timeline every day. I love, I love the dry wit that you bring to it. Uh, it's subtle, but it's there, so I see it. Thank you, that's very nice. And I appreciate the wit comment as well. Thanks for coming on, Jake. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to make him an offer, guys. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.